Nier's 10th anniversary. And a return to Silent Hills. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and with me, as always, your co-host, Mr. Saw Bridges, bringing you guys Lucky Episode 154. 154. Every episode, I, I think I've said this before, it just never seems like we've been doing it for that long. No, yeah. It kind of does, you know, I guess what I should say is it doesn't feel like we've recorded 154 episodes. That's yeah. what it really is. Not the length of time so much as the number of episodes. Uh, but anyway... Hope you are having a good day. Thank you for joining us. We're going to get this show started off the right way. And if you've been listening for a long time, then you know that that is by a very simple and good question to where we finally get to learn that our good friend Solomon here. No, you don't. Here, no, you don't. No, you don't. Nope, uh, that's still a secret. No, you don't. Still a secret. Still a secret. No, you don't. Okay, well, then never mind. Uh, I, yep, nope. I plead the fifth on that particular subject, and I go back to asking a completely different question then. Saul, what have you been playing? <laughs> And otherwise, if you've not played anything, what have you been up to? I've uh, been playing Yu-Gi-Oh! The Legacy of the Duel Link, which is kind of, or Duel Evolution, whatever it's called, Link Evolution. Legacy yeah, of the yeah, yeah. Link Evolution, which is pretty fun. Um, I did hop back into Destiny for a very small period of time. Did you play anymore after that night? No. <laughs> okay. I haven't played anymore at all. Uh, I think I, I think that I'm just kind of over that game for now. Like, I don't see myself going back to it at all, really. Um, unless there's just like one night where I haven't played in a really long time or something and I want to hop on and hang out with my friend Joe or something. Cause that's always fun. That actually makes it worth, uh, playing. Uh, but I, I just had that, that familiar feeling of like hopping back in and I felt immediately overwhelmed by everything that's in it now. And like, I'm just kind of like, well, you know, I don't really want to dedicate any time to this in this current moment. So I'm just not going to do it. So I might dedicate some time to it later, but it might it's just not right now. What do you think it would take for you to get back into Destiny in earnest? Like, do you think it's got to be something akin to like a Destiny three, or are you past the point of like you, you mentioned it being overwhelming, which I do think is a fair point when you've been away from it for some time. It doesn't mean that it's like a barrier you can't cross. As clearly, I've got back into Destiny after long absences plenty of times, as have you. Yeah, but. Is it getting to a point where with the life situation, it's just something big has to happen? Or is it just that it's got to become more accessible? Or what is no, it? No, just like brand exhaustion, really. Okay, I'm I can see that. kind of bored of it. And, you know, I, I, there's other things that I've been wanting to do. So it's one of those things that um, I would rather just do that instead and not play Destiny. So that's kind of the way it's been going lately. Well, you're in a very similar boat as my lifelong one of my best friends, uh, Mr. Donovan, and patron of the show. Thanks, Donovan. You're a good buddy. Thank you, buddy. Um, he has recently started playing Anthem, and just because, you know, been $5 for long enough, and I keep telling him, just try it out and see if you'll like it. Um, and anyway, <clears throat> excuse me, we were talking about his, um, how he's still just burned out on Destiny. And I don't know if that's just happening because, I was always the the friend who would play Destiny for some period of time, and then in the long run, it would eventually be me who would drop out, and everybody else would keep playing, and y'all would continue to play. Uh, but it seems like all the people that I know who are really in, into Destiny, just even with the latest, uh, well, I shouldn't say the latest because it's a new season, but the last expansion didn't even seem to really retain you or Donovan. It retained me for sure. Shadowkeep, 
Yeah, it didn't seem like you played for very long. Yeah, not, not as long as your typical. You know, like let's say when you got back into Forsaken, whenever Forsaken. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I feel what? like I feel like we were there for a, a good while for for Shadowkeep. I really enjoyed Shadowkeep. I know that you enjoyed it, but it seemed like you only played it for about a month. No, no, I played it for at least two months. Okay, yeah, well, I played it all the way to the end of Saint Fourteen thing. Okay, well, I guess I'm just what it must have been is that you talking about it and me hearing about it just somehow diminished. I don't know. Maybe so. But yeah. yeah, like I, I just I, I don't feel like I'm up to returning to it right now. I'd rather focus my thing, my my gaming on other things, even if it's not at all. Um, just because, uh, I don't. Brain exhaustion is one of those things for me that like if I see something so much or if I play a certain game so much that I like I don't want to play it again or see of it again. And that's kind of goes to show you why like Dark Souls and Bloodborne are my favorite game series now because like I don't get tired of those. I was those about are, to say those I'll, are prime I'll, examples of. If if a game if it was based purely off of just being exhausted of one thing, but I think what you're kind of getting at it is transcends certain that. games can yeah can transcend past that being an issue. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I, I mean I get to the point like where I, I don't feel like playing them or anything because I am tired of them, but that lasts not nearly as long as other series does. So, but yeah. what have you been playing this week? <clears throat> well, I haven't played this, but I think you have. I don't know if you mentioned it, and maybe I just wasn't oh yeah, for a I second. did forget about it because I played one thing of it. Warzone. Yeah, Warzone. yeah, yeah. I played one game of it. And I'm kind of like, eh, it's more of like battle royale stuff where if you're playing by yourself, it just feels like you, like a waste of time in a weird like sense because you do everything and then you end up dying or something or winning and then you're like, well, I could do this again, but then I have to go through and get all this stuff again and, and find a spot and do all this again. Like it gets really, really repetitive without having friends there to kind of make time go by. Well, and that's funny going back to Destiny. That's kind of like the only reason I played Destiny, if I'm being honest. Like, it always hit a point where eventually the game was just mildly fun. Like, it was fun enough, but I was really playing because we were just being ridiculous and hanging out. And the friends essentially See, made Destiny it. for me was the... it was I played that by myself a lot, too. Oh, no, you did, yeah. Um, but that's exactly why I never got into playing a lot of the... Um, the you know PUBG. I've never even tried PUBG, and that's why I could never get in any any of the other ones. I could never play that on my own. Schedules for friends are just so sporadic that it feel dumb for me to waste or to invest. And I guess waste technically uh, that invested time in a battle royale in terms of playing games by myself to keep myself sharp. The games were never engaging enough for me to care to do it by myself. Yeah. Like you know, the one time that I tried to play um, whenever we were doing the. Uh, what was it? Black Ops Four beta that blackout. had blackout. Okay, uh, whenever we were playing that, I had a perfectly fine time when me, you, and Sean were playing. The apps, like the moment that I tried to play by myself, I left the game about ten minutes in, five minutes in, because I was just like, ah, I'm done. This is boring. Yeah, that's how I am with these games. <clears throat> and I was hoping maybe Warzone would feel different because it's Call of Duty, but no, it just it's just more the same exact thing for me. Is it? I mean, akin to the quality? Because I'll, I'll say this: like, you know, we talked about quality. Quality. The quality for Blackout, I can understand why someone would want it. Like you know, going towards like a actual paid. Uh, game where people are making it not on the hope that it's free to play and may do well, but instead that, hey, we know that people are going to buy this, so we have this much money should be coming in. Yeah, like it, it's good quality. It's just, it's it goes back to the whole thing where it's just tedious by yourself after one game. Yeah. Same goes for Apex. I was playing Apex there for a while back and just kind of like, you hop back into a game and you're like, okay, let me do this exact same thing over and over again. The only thing that changes are the guns. And once you get used to a certain gun and you can't find it, then you're forced to use other guns, which are kind of fun. But like I said, by myself, it's just not fun. I feel. Uh, anyway, I got back to Darksiders Genesis and beat it. And it's good. You know, I, I, I held off giving it an overall thing until I could play the whole thing. Uh, I think it was... Uh, 
a good, almost great game for casual people and a great game for people who are fans of Darksiders. Uh, you know, it's not just the most perfect thing in the world, but it does have some things that urge you to replay it, which I do think is important in those types of games because they're a little handled differently than something like Darksiders 2, 1, or 3, where they all take different approaches on 3D gameplay that has bigger open worlds that you can explore. Not open worlds, to be fair, but two arguably open world. Um, but either way, going back into it, it's I enjoy it for what it is, and I think it's smart use of uh, almost a Metroidvania-like style, like I talked about, with going and getting powers and then going back and giving you a reason to replay a chapter which also helps when you have something like co-op because, you know, say a friend gets it uh, and they reach out to me and say, hey, I want to play the game. Do you mind playing with me or would you want to play with me? I'd gladly reach out and be like, yeah, because there's things I missed that I can go back and do again. Uh, now with the new powers, I could technically help them do it. And it just kind of makes it more fun when you're going back and playing. So I enjoyed it. I don't know necessarily just yet if I'm going for platinum on it. I just don't know that I have the time or the drive. Um, it was weird. I started this year off with a ton of platinums, like four in a row in like the first month. And now my drive to do Platinums is gone because my time is not there, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but I ended up going into, uh, we mentioned the PS Now games coming up. I ended up going and uh, downloading Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Uh, and I enjoy it. Uh, it's interesting to me that it has the same thing. Like, it looks really good. That's the first thing. It's the first time I've played one of the new Tomb Raiders on PS4 because uh, I played the original 2013 reboot on PS3. Did not play the PS4 remaster. Uh, I played uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider on PC because of the Xbox exclusivity deal. Uh, and so this is the first time coming back to it. And it looks surprisingly good on PS4 Pro. I'll give them props for that. Um, and you you played Uncharted mm -hmm. one, two, and some of three, correct? Yeah. You never played Uncharted four? No. Okay. The game clearly. Have you played any of the the, the new Tomb Raiders? I didn't think so. No. But to kind of give anybody who hasn't played them, uh, who may have some fleeting interest in with it being free, uh, in some capacity, uh, it's <clears throat> if you played Uncharted, it borrows a lot from Uncharted, uh, and that's far from a bad thing. I guess the only thing I'd say is like it's Uncharted with the added aspects of like, well, how can we do some of the Uncharted stuff with a well-known character, which is fine, you know, doing Laura Croft. Uh, and then they're hinging their changes on it on some things that I understand. It's like RPG light mechanics. You can upgrade stuff and they push that even further in Shadow. You can create armor sets that actually have benefits for you. Uh, they're not really armor, I guess, as much as it's called gear, but, you know, uh, same word essentially. Uh, but when you're going through it, it's like Uncharted and it has all the same thing if you just wanted to play it 100% linear. The only thing that's different is you have to actually at least get enough resources or buy at shops the things that you need to be like ammo for your bow and arrow and whatnot. And of course, the puzzle aspects tie into that. But the other thing is like each game has gotten progressively more and more into this idea of, of occasionally coming to a hub world that's got side quest in it and this one's the first time it's got side quests that are like you're in cities of people and within the city there's also wild jungle around that you can go through so the biggest hubs they've done so far and there's hidden tombs in this one since there's gear so you can get different uh, gear from crypts and whatnot there's challenge tombs that will give you like uh, benefits where uh, like they're locked behind so you, you, you have a skill tree of course and some of them are locked behind going to these dungeons or yeah these tombs challenge tombs when you go through them there's a lot of puzzle solving and platforming challenges in them but when you go through them when you get to the end you unlock this ability that would otherwise be locked on your skill tree so you can go around it 
but eventually you get to that. So things like being able to hide in a tree, shoot an arrow, and then use a rope to tie them up. And it's interesting ideas, but, um, the, the thing about it being somewhat similar to uncharted is like, it's always just shy of uncharted. So the problem is, is that since for me, and as much as I'm enjoying it and I am enjoying it, but I can't see it ever going beyond just being like an eight out of 10, which is fine. It's just one of those things where when you're playing it, because it chooses to be similar to uncharted, it invites upon itself comparisons to uncharted. And there's some attention to detail and some things I really love about uncharted and the way they choose to make the games that I don't see here. So it's just kind of like, ah, it's easy enough to break and be like, oh, well, this is a completely different game. But there's moments where you're kind of like, eh, it's not Uncharted. Hmm. I, I could see that. I don't know. It's it's perfectly fine, though, and I am enjoying it for what it is. I mean, each game, I think, has gotten progressively better. I was worried that going to a new developer would make this game not as good as the other two. Uh, but I've not found that to be the case so far. It really, they've done a good job of making it seem like the same group of people the same quality we're making it games. with the same quality there was no weird jankiness that suddenly jumped up from it happening so yeah i, I think they did a good job um outside of that i did hop into dreams which we were going and watching some dreams compilations of some ridiculous stuff before we started recording um i played that for about two to three hours maybe four uh, i'd say closer to three uh and just played a bunch of different creations i haven't do i haven't dove into making my own stuff yet uh but i'm excited to do that uh Saul and I were looking at some of the games and it, it is interesting that, you know, I think dreams has got slightly the problem within the gaming community of seeming like it's at least the core gaming community of seeming like it's intended to be, to make games. So when you see compilations of creations, you expect them all to be games. And if you go in with that mindset, you kind of get this thing of like, I've seen two out of two games out of these 20 compilations. Well, it's, it's meant for creations across the board. And uh, that's actually going to be something we'll come into a little bit later in the news. But interesting nonetheless. I think the game has got, it's priced right at $40. I'm, I'm really glad they didn't price it at 60 Yeah, I, I, would, I, would, I, I would not buy it at 60 I'm still on the fence about it being 40 because I don't have any time to play that right now. Yeah. Uh, with other things, but um, I'll get it eventually. I haven't played the actual developer dreams because, like, you know, there, there are dreams that were made by Media Molecule that are yeah. part of the game, right? But this, I'm glad it's priced at 40 because this is almost more aimed at the tool set than Little Big Planet was. Like, yeah, Little Big Planet was still the same vein of, hey, we have a game that you can sit here and create stuff in, but this is to the nth degree. But Little Big Planet had a really, really good platformer also in that yeah so this one being so focused on being like hey we got you can make all these cool things and then everything that's in the game that's built in is just hey these are a couple of dreams that we made and just included there's no like necessarily a through line between them maybe there is in the story i'd have to look and see but it's not to the same degree as something like little big planet where it's trying to have a competent full-on game that you can play and then creation tools it the it game, focuses on the creation tools more yes so. yeah yeah but shout out to Media Molecule. They always have... Have you played any of the Media Molecule games from like opening? I know that you played yeah. them alongside like me and Seth. Have you ever started one up and played by yourself? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Tearaway. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tearaway had the same basic... On the Vita too, the, the good version. <laughs> yeah. I never played the PS4 one. Uh, Andy uh, did. It did not look as good as the Vita version. Interesting. But uh, I love their opening for their games. Like, they're really super charming. Yeah, I'll say they're full of charm. And they really do a good job of explaining the, the bounds of the game within you. And, like, in Dream's case, it's explaining the breadth of 
the abilities that you have, like the possibilities, essentially. Uh, they've always done such a good job, and they're always really charming. So uh, shout out to them. I really, they are a great developer, and I'm glad that they're still around. And Dream seems to be doing good for them. But it's time to move on into the community stake before we get any further and go to the news. So with that. Please take this last week. We asked you guys, do you like the ideas of remakes and remasters? If so, what's your favorite remake or remaster? If not, why? And I'm going to pick actually my favorite one, uh, favorite answer to all this. Um, and it's our good buddy Shadow uh, on Twitter. He says, yes and no. Yes, because it allows old games to be played in modern consoles and some are enhanced visually. And no, because I would rather have them focus on games, new games than old ones. I think we're seeing that here. I think a good example of that's Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. We don't know when the next time we'll see another mainline Final Fantasy game is. And I guess you, you, someone would argue that seven is that. I would argue that that's not an original mainline game, so it doesn't count. Um, yeah, that's a weird one. Yeah. Because I, I, I agree. I feel like somewhere within this, 16 should be coming along. Yeah, and I don't think it is. Um, so I actually can agree with him to that, even though I will say most of the time... Some of these, if done right and done well, then uh, it's it's handled by teams from the same developer. So not always the one team is on a remake or remaster. Uh, but it also fully depends on what it is. Like Blue Point, for example, took their entire t- time to, to make the Shadow of the Colossus remake. Um, and, you know, they, they never ne- necessarily said they weren't, but I would imagine they weren't working on anything else at that time. They were probably putting full force on that. They're a smaller team. Yeah, there are so twelve they were, people, aren't they? No, it's more than that. But they're definitely a twelve smaller or twenty-two team. or something like that. Um, I want to say they've also recently expanded. And um, I might be thinking of when they were working on Shadow of the Colossus because it ha- that's you know been. Well, I think they had to two scale years now, three uh, years. They have ninety plus as of early twenty twenty. Okay, so yeah, that's um, definitely a lot more than I thought. But they've also expanded recently, so it's it is hard to say. Uh, I know that they you know them going and doing a full on remake, they had to bring more people in. I think that they used to be smaller when they did nothing but remasters. Uh, like when, and they were really good at remasters, but like when they did the God of War remasters, yeah. the, uh, the uncharted remasters, um, of course, uh, the, the remaster for uh, gravity rush. So they played, they oh, had yeah. plenty, they and they did. of course did the original Ico and shadow of the Colossus. So coming back around to that was interesting. Yeah. Um, another, another uh, one I like on Twitter a lot was our good buddy, Derek um, life reimagined. He says remakes are awesome when done well, i.e. resident evil Two. remasters are also great. I love being able to play classics with newer hardware. There are a bunch of remasters. I love God of war collection, the last of us uncharted collection, Borderlands Handsome Collection and the Bioshock Collection. I think the Bioshock Collection is my favorite out of all those. Um, that yeah. and The Last of Us. But um, but yeah, I, I agree. Like like remakes nowadays are like you have Final Fantasy VII, you have Shadow of the Colossus, you have Resident Evil 2, Resident Evil 3. Um, if done correctly, then they are done really, really well. Uh, Crash Bandicoot, uh, Spyro. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. I'd actually argue that regardless of whether you feel about the game, I think Medieval... From what, everything I've seen, Medieval's a quality remake. Game, it's exactly what it needed to be. But that's, it, from a lot of these remake standpoints, and then remasters, of course, exist too, but the remakes, have you noticed that a lot of them have been in an effort to try and retain as much of the original as possible while only really bringing the control scheme a little bit more up since there's more buttons and more things? Yeah. And more often than not, bringing the graphics up. 
I mean, like, of course, Resident Evil 2 is a little different because it doesn't have the forced camera perspective. Mm-hmm. But other than that, the game is pretty close. There are some things. I kind of do wish that, like, when you beat the game with the normal camera, you can go back and play it under forced camera, like the that second would be one. Really I really do. Because I, I like that camera. I like that camera in the classic Metal Gear games, too. Um, Metal Gear Solid games, I should say. But yeah. um, you know what's weird is you name it Evil. That, to me, is a prime example on why. Devs always shouldn't listen to screaming people about what they want. Because it seemed that compared to Crash, Spyro, Medieval was a drop of water and they oh, were a yeah, massive it, splash. Yeah, but I mean, but the outcry for intended that game, to be. But that game was an outcry uh, of request for that game was way louder than what the launch splash was. I don't know. I remember hearing people saying Medieval like was on their top list of all time to get remade, and I remember seeing a lot about it before it ever was announced, and then it got announced that people were going crazy. And I almost forget that it launched, because it, I plainly remember Crash Bandicoot's launch mm-hmm. and how many people were talking about it. Same went for Spyro, Shadow of the Colossus, specifically and especially the uh, Resident Evil 2 remaster. Yeah. Medieval, though, that is what was surprising to me. It's like, did, did you ever play it? The, the remaster? Yeah. No, I, haven't, I, haven't, I bought it, okay. but I haven't had a chance to play it yet. Um, but yeah, like I, I, for me, I never played the original game that much. I think I played it once or twice at my cousin Brett's house when we were younger, but I don't remember it that well. Well, I love the game, and I'll be, I, I'm, look, I'm one of the people that was like, oh, I'm, I'm glad that they've remade it, though technically they remade it for PSP back in 05. But at the same time, I mean, I'm glad they remade it. Uh, I don't, I, I see if some of what you mean, there clearly was a group of people who really wanted it to come back. I don't know that I would consider it just crazy. I don't think that like I don't think Medieval was near the level that I saw for Crash Bandicoot or Spyro. Or you know, I don't it think was still was... it was still I'll give you that it was still loud for a short burst, but that's typically what happens when you do things like Twitter campaigns, right? Well, Which is re- one of these big things that happen. You know, revive uh or bring back Medieval. I can't remember what the actual um hashtag was. was for it but within that i think that that's kind of what happens is you see a splash and then people do freak out when it finally happens the same group that wanted it but in the long run i mean i think that sony knew what they were getting into when they did it it medieval was never a money-making franchise well what's crazy is i think crash was the more so uh the less requested one i remember i think i i think i want to say that less this requested for, than what uh know. medieval i want to say like the only person i remember advocating for crash remaster of any Massive person. I was Tim Geddes. And when it finally got announced, that's where the hype came from was getting announced. I don't remember there being hype around uh, people wanting it. Now, the other thing was, is I also think that Crash itself lended uh, the world to say, hey, that's a classic PSO one era game they remastered. What about Medieval? I think that's where the Medieval hype train started. Well, I definitely could see that. But I'd still say on the Crash Bandicoot thing, Maybe you just weren't as active, and, 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 and I'm not anymore, but at one point in time I was. If you look and see, man, there were people that were freaking out over the PlayStation 4 reveal thing where it was showing different stuff, and all it was was a sign of something that looked like it may have been Crash Bandicoot on a yellow sign back in 2013, and everybody flipped out and were like, oh my God, Crash Bandicoot remake. I don't remember that at all. Yeah, so I mean, there's definitely, dude, there's been a hype behind it for a long time. People have been wanting but Crash Bandicoot was a far more popular franchise than medieval ever was medieval's always been a very niche franchise the people that wanted it were people that loved it uh, which one would you say is more niche um medieval or um the legend of kane 
Or Legacy of Kane. Legacy of Kane? I'd say Medieval is more so than that. The Legacy of Kane was a really long running series for a long time. It just fell on weird times. I thought you were going to say the Legend, the Legend of Dragoon, which would have been an interesting yeah, I see, question. I see that game getting requested for a remake too. And that's actually one that I think you'd have to be careful on because I think that that falls into something that's closer to Medieval, but I think that if Sony ever did it, it'd have to be done because it's going to be a much harder game to bring back around. Are you about to say it has to be done like four different parts? No, 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 no. I think it would just have to be handled with... It, the people who are asking for it would have to really try and rally other people around it. Now, I think the game has kind of got... It kind of taps into the Final Fantasy VII thing of PS1, where people look at it as one of the big RPGs for PS1. But the truth is that game didn't really sell that well. It almost It's, it's kind of like a cult classic where it came back around later and people started playing it and were like, oh, this has got a lot of great ideas. And I think that you could definitely pull off a really good remake of it. But you just have to be really careful with how you chose to do it. Now, thankfully, money on remakes is a lot lower than an actual game because you have something that you're going off of. You don't have near the worry about creation and mechanic discussion because you know what you're trying to replicate. Yeah. But at the same time, it doesn't mean it's not an investment. I would still love to see Legend of Dragoon, but I constantly wonder whether it'll happen because Medieval is a very short, very easy game to remake. I'm not surprised that they did it. They priced it perfectly at $30. I think that's exactly where it should have been, no higher. They did everything they could to try and... and I, to me, Medieval was just Sony doing a PR move with something that would probably make them their money back. Yeah. And there's no reason for them to not to do that. So I understand that. On something that's a little more complicated, like Legend of Dragoon, I'd be really surprised to see them do it as cavalier and nonchalant as that was handled. Um, but I'm going to go over to Facebook real quick and see what people have to say. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Enrique Gonzalez, Mr. Kiki says, Tomb Raider Tril- Trilogy reboot, which we were just talking about, period. Anyway, I don't really, I don't understand that, even though I keep seeing it. Um, I know it's like emphasis, uh, but I let him slide with that because it's it's essentially a reboot. Uh, but you know what? How a reboot is not that far away from a remake in a lot of ways. It just depends on how crazy it gets from the original. Yeah. So fair enough. Uh, Josh Drago says Hannah Montana definitive remastered game of the year edition, which I also know that our good friend Liam uh, was was asking for, so that he can get the best of both worlds. Um, Donovan Williams, uh, my buddy, and one of our patrons says, love the Fallout New Vegas remake, <laughs> to which I said, I think it had a different name, something like The Outer Worlds. Um, you know, I really want to start up New Vegas on Xbox because it's, it's part of Games Pass. Yeah. And I want to see how well it looks now, like with, if they've optimized it at all or improved the visuals at all. The only thing that will happen if it even got the patch like Oblivion did is it'll be in 4K. That's it. I'm curious if I got the patch. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he actually says, though, for real, uh, he loves remakes and remasters. Taking a game that I've loved or one that I never played, getting modern mechanics and graphics in it, absolutely endorse it. And I agree, uh, though, how often the remakes end up doing the latter of, or the former, rather, of getting modern mechanics, uh, it's, hit, it's, it's hit or miss on whether that happens. And uh, that ties into something like I think Derek was talking about, where you got to be careful in doing remasters because some people want it to be so much like the original, and then some people want it to be a little more modern, but you risk alienating both crowds depending on which way you go for it. Um, so, yeah, you know. Uh, Liam says, ATV Off-Road Fury remake win, and I totally endorse that. The Off-Road Fury games are so fun. Uh, and, Saul, did you ever play Off-Road Fury? I'm sure you did because everyone did, but... um. I played one of them. 
Off Road Fury Two, probably it was yeah, the I most popular one I played. But I rented it. I think we were having a discussion, and he didn't realize, and nor uh, he, he thought he was the only person that didn't do any of the actual races in the game and just free road like free roam the entire time. And I realized that I didn't even realize I didn't know that the game had races in it because I would just constantly free play with my friends. But I would love that to come back, as well as a big shout out to uh, the original Dave Mira BMX. I would love a remake of that. Not going to happen at all. I know that, but. We live. Uh, Jeff Schrock says Yakuza Kiwami, uh, Yakuza Kiwami 2 was a fantastic remake, to which I have no input on other than to say that Yakuza 1 uh, remake Kiwami was very good in my introduction to the series. So I will definitely play that one. Last one over here, and uh, I think uh, we'll pull one or so off of the Discord. But Vincent Hull says too many variables to say if they are good or bad. Change too much, you piss people off. Change too little, you piss people off for spending money. So it was Vincent, not uh, Derek. Uh, for spending money for basically a relaunch. I'm just waiting for the Legend of Dragoon remake or remaster. I'll take either one of those. I think a remaster would be more likely than a remake of Dragoon. I'd be really interested to see what they did. Yeah, I like Dragoon's battle system. I love it. Press a button at a certain moment, and then it does more damage and does other things. It's really cool. Yeah, and that kind of ties into why I really liked uh, South Park to Stick of Truth. I love mm-hmm. that idea coming in. It's like, well, real time, but with uh, our uh, turn base, but with some element of real time that adds something to I it. I also feel like the further and further we get in the future, the more and more turn based games are going away, and I don't want that to happen. I don't think they'll ever truly go away, but I think in the AAA sphere, it's going to be really hard to see them around. As I hope Final Fantasy 16 is turn based. Dude, it'd be wild if it was. It would be. But here's my thing realistically speaking, it's probably not going to be. I feel like the if we were going to get a modern looking and, and playing Final Fantasy that was turn-based, realistically, 7 was their opportunity. But I think 7 introduces the best of both worlds in that you can essentially play 7 in turn-based if you really want to. Yeah, It's not pure turn-based, really, but it's close. And I think that if every Final Fantasy move moving forward keeps that... Well, and to be fair, 7 wasn't really turn-based to begin with. Well, true, but I mean... Te- technically it's turn-based it's just active time battle yeah it's turn-based i still consider it turn-based but it's not 100 percent true turn-based that's fair which if you want to say that then technically neither is stick of truth neither is legend of the green yeah but for lack of a better term i, I think, think legend most of the people, actually was wasn't it <clears throat> where there was no active time meter it no but off. you have it but you have the ability to hit buttons at certain times which does add a real-time element well, I think I think the whole turn-based thing though is is literally like if it's my turn, I can put the controller down, and not pause the game, and nothing will happen. Oh yeah, I guess yeah, yeah. Because it's 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 my turn, so it's based off of what my input is. Yeah, I feel you. Uh, anyway, interesting what that is. Uh, let's see. Over on the Discord, we have Mister Josh Ayers, one of our patrons. He says, "I love remakes and remasters, but I love old games. I'm super hyped for Final Fantasy VII this year and Resident Evil Three. Both my favorite franchises. My favorite remake has to be Resident Evil One. Played it on GameCube at launch. Got it when it came to PS3 almost ten years later. It still looked and played beautiful. One of my biggest shames is I don't have the platinum because I can't do a knife only run in it." I feel you. There's plenty of games that I just can't bring myself to do the one thing that would keep me from getting a platinum. So I feel. Uh, And Atlas Unchained, one of our other patrons, says, Gonna give it to my main homie, Spyro. Loved it when I was younger, and to see it recreated so perfectly was great. Really well done. And I don't mind someone trying to remake a game to maybe try and squeeze some more potential out of an older IP like Final Fantasy VII. Uh, Final Fantasy VII is an interesting one to say squeeze more potential out of because they've been squeezing 
Final Fantasy VII for a long time after Final Fantasy VII released. Uh, but I do think there's something to the basic nature of that, which is that doing a remake or a remaster to try and squeeze more potential out of a out of an IP in general is a smart idea. Uh, akin to doing a sequel to a franchise that didn't necessarily hit the way you thought it would, but a little less risky. Because, like, you know, my thing I always said was, Remaking, uh, remastering the original Nier would have been really interesting before Nier Automata ever came because you'd have, excuse me, you'd have the chance of bringing that game to a new audience and seeing what happened uh, because it was kind of made frivolously. If you could fix some of its problems with a remaster, retexture a little bit of the game to bring it up and then fix a a little bit of the frame rate problem that it had, which is not too bad, then you could probably give that game another shot and see if people have another chance of loving it without having to invest fully in a, in a sequel. Nier ended up benefiting from that anyway because Nier Automata came out, did incredibly well, and then actually brought a surge of people interested in the original Nier back to where they had to reprint the original Nier. Yeah. So it, it is an interesting thing. I feel like sometimes, and I'm glad we didn't get this response, though I do slightly understand the, the, the reasoning behind it, is... Have you ever heard anybody say that they don't like the idea of remakes and remasters because it pulls resources from other games that could be using them to make new games and new IP? And I I get it. And as someone who really likes new IP, I agree to an extent. But the thing about remakes and remasters is that they typically require a team of much, much smaller than it would take to make a new game. So you're not really pulling resources definitely when most of the time remakes and remasters are handled from studios that are completely different from the people that originally made the game. So the only talent that you're really using and potentially pulling from is people who are specifically their goal in their career is to remaster and remake games like we see blue point games doing. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think it's fair to say that, but I think it's different for each developer. Yeah. So, cause we don't know, like kind of like the thing going with Final Fantasy seven, like, I have a feeling a majority of their big teams are on this game. Oh, and they that's are. Why, that's they why are I, now. Yeah, that's why we're not going to see Final Fantasy 16 for a long time. You know, it was really... <clears throat> the thing that was interesting to me about that is it seemed like at the beginning of the Final Fantasy 7 remake announcement that they were trying to skirt the development off to a different team, but they realized that it wasn't going to be the quality it needed to be and that people were going to be more mad yeah. if it ended up coming out less than what they expected because you remember CyberConnect... Uh, which have never really done any huge games. Most of their stuff is like dot .hack. They did uh, recently the Dragon Ball uh, Z uh, Kakarot or whatever the hell it was called. Um, and they've done some one-offs here and there past that. Um, but, you know, that's not something... It's not the developer you would have imagined that a game like Final Fantasy VII with its statue would have ended up getting. But it seemed like Square was still trying to do that. Like, hey, let's not expand our main workforces talent let's try and shoot that off to another developer but let somebody who's involved in square enix still be the director yeah which clearly didn't work and i actually think it coming back in the house while it may put some stress and tension on whether or not we get a final fantasy 16 anytime soon i think it was the right decision to make seven have the closest chance within their idea of it being um you know part releases uh, of being a success so yeah Interesting question. Liked how get a lot of responses, and everybody seemed to uh, have a, a good opinion on it. So appreciate that, and uh, I think it's time to go ahead and move over into the news. Unless Saul, you want to say anything else? No. 
I think you covered it pretty well. All right, here we are. And the first thing is uh, pretty surprising, realistically. When it, whenever I saw it at the beginning of this week, it really... Uh, it took me back for a second. GameStop have appointed former Nintendo of America head Reggie Filzame to its board of directors. Reggie, alongside former Walmart CEO Bill Simon and current PetSmart president and CEO James Semancic, I think is what it is, uh, are joining in an effort to turn the company around with a strategy for long-term success. Filzame took to Twitter to say, quote, the gaming industry needs a healthy and vibrant GameStop. I look forward to being a part of the board and helping make this happen. End quote. Big move. Not really. Big move in the sense of they're not doing great. It's right? just a big name. <clears throat> well, exactly. But I, I should say big move in that they've not only managed to get someone who has the, I guess this is why I consider this smart. It's more than just a big name, right? It's a big name within the community that you're trying to tap into. I will say though that like from what I've read, people have been spe- specifying and 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 letting the other people know like this he's not going to really do anything there. <gasps> this is kind of more so of a of a position to sit in on meetings for and kind of just give something for a spare time. He's not actually he can't call shots. He can't cooperate to call shots. He he just kind of is. Well, there. Yeah, no, he's not the boss. Board, yeah. but okay. In an ideal situation, which is hopefully what this is going to be for GameStop, you would not bring these people into your board of directors if the whole point of you bringing them in was to just have them sit there and not listen to anything that they say. You would not bring in Think Geek merchandise for it just to sit there on the shelf and not sell. But hey, here we are. <laughs> well, actually, the Think Geek is the only thing that's ended up saving GameStop. They probably would have been under long before if they had relied solely on I game sales. I don't see how. As crazy as that is. Well, dude, what it comes down to is somebody who occasionally sees this in the line of work that I do, uh, margins are, make up everything. The margins on games and game consoles are so low on new stuff. The only thing that they make high margins on on actual video games is used. Right, but this, this, but, this $300 statue that was made for the cost of $10 and is very cheaply made, but people are going to suck it up and buy it anyways, and that has... That has over 300% mark or 300% yes, margin. Exactly. So it, it, it's crazy as it is, even if they get a store full of a merchandise, that's just sitting there. If one person buys something that's $50, it's like a mattress more, store. you're essentially getting your money back. Yeah. Slowly a ma- but surely a mattress store is the same way. Mattresses are made for like $8 and they sell for mm-hmm. 700. I don't know how much they cost to make, but I'm not surprised. That they, I mean, I, of course that's a high margin item. There's just some things that you know are going to be high margin. Uh, but anyway, going back uh, into that, you know, I, I understand that all three of these people are not going to be people who can call shots, but these are three people from very interesting businesses. So Reggie is a good face to put to it because, of course, the gaming community loves him. They just have for a long time. And if GameStop was smart, they'd bring him in to get good. It's By nature of bringing him in, they're going to get a, a little bit of good PR from it. People are going to be like, oh, look at GameStop actually bringing in a big name in gaming that did well. Yeah. All right. Then you're going to have, if they actually choose to listen to some of what he says, potentially it could help turn them around. And of course it doesn't hurt to have him tweeting something like the gaming industry needs a healthy and vibrant GameStop. That's a, that's kind of a a viewpoint thing where you can try and get everybody optically to view GameStop in a different light. If you can get people to kind of the right people to look at this and who look at Reggie and like him, you may help to start turning around the otherwise, what do you see on the internet for GameStop? Nothing but negativity. Exactly. You're not going to turn that around by hiring Reggie. You're not going to turn that around just by that. But it's a start in the right direction. Is essentially what I'm what I'm getting at. I don't think it will. Be. I think GameStop will be bankrupt and gone within the next year. It's totally possible. Still, 
Totally, and I, I shouldn't I say I'm not acting like this is their hell. This is the hell Mary that's going to turn them around. But I think that what they're doing here is probably the closest thing to something that has the potential to turn them around. Whether or not it happens is just going to be up to how smart they are, how much they listen, and how much they're willing to evolve. Fun fact: the day after, <clears throat> and I was reading this on Reddit. This guy works for GameStop. Um, the day after that, uh, this announcement was made. Do you know what GameStop did? Fire over 23 district managers. You know, GameStop probably only has like 60 district managers at most. So they let's just say they, they fired half their, half their district manager base. Now there are managers in stores, kind of like what Justin was doing, where he's managing two. There are people who are up to five stores being the store manager of. So essentially what's going on is that GameStop's been doing away, just from people that I know working in the industry, GameStop has been doing away with regional managers, for district managers actually, for a long time. They actually did away with regional managers then but they went to district and and they've been to have working all this happen, to move though, away after this after yeah. reggie gets put on the board of directors well they're cutting and and this is what we saw game that gamestop do last year too they're it's cutting salary they're cutting a bunch of salaries for for positions that were kind of just there to be there you know what i mean if i think back to it real you know all it is is trying to add an extra layer of pressure because you know the manager can look and say hey I want you to do good, but also I want you to do good because uh, my district manager here wants me to do good because his boss wants him to do good because the CEO wants him to do good. It's just more layers of people trying to put pressure on. Yeah. Uh, but you don't necessarily need that, and it adds a lot of fluff to your cost. And at one point in time, GameStop could afford that because they were doing very well. And very quickly, I, they turned from being doing very well to doing very poorly, and they needed to cut that fluff. It's unfortunate. I disagree that that's but, fluff, though. With the way these companies are ran to micromanage, they can't micromanage directly from corporate. I don't mean that, but there shouldn't originally when you had district, regional, yeah, I mean, and you had above that as well. When you're doing that, you don't need that many layers. Yeah, but you're not gonna have a corporate head come out to twenty plus stores and and worry about them to make sure they're getting their numbers right like a district manager would. I mean, to an extent, yeah, but there's somebody above the district manager that's not quite CEO. That's so it, yeah, or, or, like, no, not CEO, but I mean, not quite straight up admin i mean of course yeah, you continue like, to go up it'd be the regional but it is but still, even then like like you, you put that regional person who has a district manager to manage 18 stores and then you get rid of that now you're a regional manager that has all the work of normal of your of your own self because you did have responsibilities before that and then now you have 18 more stores like it's just a shitty move to do all around i see what you mean but i, I again what i'm saying is the move with and of course none of us know the exact back ends of what's going on in gamestop but my idea here if you're bleeding money the way they are and having positions that are bloat those positions are bloated because a lot of the work that those people do is technically bloat work so if you can not only call the people but call some of the work so i disagree that a district manager for a major company's bloat work i think that we can agree to disagree in this situation considering that none of us have more information i think that the only way to get a clear answer as to what would, is actually best for gamestop is to know exactly what work each of those positions do and even though i've worked there that's never been made clear all they are is essentially going hey are you managing right it's kind of it from what I've seen. So we need to, I need to see more of what their actual workflow is. And maybe, I would maybe I'm like, looking at it at a weird angle because I worked there and I saw what looked to be a pointless position. Well, I would assume it'd be something like CVS, like where there was people there, there the district manager was, was the main person to say like, Hey, make sure y'all, y'all are hitting your numbers. Right. But then it was more beyond that. They're constantly on conference calls, emails, traveling all day long to get to these different stores they're going to and then they're doing these different metrics because these corporations have some dumb idea of having 60 different metrics as a thing <laughs> yeah. to keep their company in line 
But um, yeah, like it's it, it was a lot of like a lot of work for a district manager for CVS. I would have never taken that position ever. You could not pay me enough money in the world to travel from Oklahoma to Little Rock to Texas to Louisiana. Um, there was even one store in Nevada. No, that our district manager had to cover. Absolutely not. You not pay me enough in the world for that. You yeah. give me a million dollar salary. I ain't doing it. <laughs> All right, moving on to the next thing. Uh, Norman Reedus recently revealed in an interview with Wired that he and Kojima are in talks to do other stuff together. Considering Kojima's expressed interest in making a horror game, and Reedus originally intended to star in Kojima's Silent Hills, it would not be surprising to see something similar from Kojima this go around, which is a perfect segue. Into the next news piece, which is, speaking of Silent Hills, the rumor mill is churning with Sony reportedly a driving force in bringing not just one, but two different Silent Hill games. Uh, one being the canceled Silent Hills and the other a soft reboot of the franchise likely akin to God of War PS4, where it conti technically continues but without completely rebooting the entire world. Um, the rumor claims that Sony is working to patch the relationship between Konami and Kojima to allow Kojima Productions to return to Silent Hills after the game, uh, after continued demand of the teaser PT and the buzz still around the game, while the soft reboot would simply be titled Silent Hill and would bring back many of the key figures of the original Silent Hill with SIE Japan Studio reportedly being behind development in some capacity, which sounds like if this is true, which again, take it with a huge grain of salt, would be something potentially similar to Sony offering assistance with Demon Souls and Bloodborne as part of the exclusivity rights for getting that game on their platform. So and I this, should say that the 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 back end logistics of this are not impossible. Oh, but it is. But it's so <laughs> this unlikely. Is all PS. This is so you know how you know how I called out that that rumor of the PS5 being announced having better specs than the Xbox <laughs> yeah. and all that dumb crap. It's wishful thinking of what somebody wants. Yeah, that's what this is. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I'll tell you here now. One Kojima would never go back to Konami. Period. Well, period. Yeah. <laughs> like nobody. Like he would never go back to work with Konami after what they did to him. Done and gone. One hundred percent. Secondly. I'm surprised they picked Silent Hills 1 as the reboot, not Silent Hills 2, because Silent Hill 2 well, is the beloved it, child. Soft reboot. Right, but so still. So it's not even going to be a remake or anything. It's just continuing the Silent Hill world. Yeah. But also... But he, bringing back... Yeah. Here's where I go on. If you... I'm sure you read the actual article where they named all of the beloved Silent Hill developers. Yes. All of them. All of them, which is ridiculous. Yes. That Again, is... Which not, will, now, I am the not, one for conspiracy theories. That's just somebody who's like, I'm going to make up a rumor. I'm going to put my Silent Hill dream team together, and we're going to make this happen. Sure. And that's exactly what this is. Now, this is where I'll, I'll give... And, and, and again, I am entirely in Saul's camp on this. I don't believe this for one second. No. But let's go down the thing of... If these saying or, or if these things are possible, so to, to give credence to at least the back end being a potential, even though I think incredible, so unlikely that I'd essentially call it impossible. Um, one thing is, I agree that Kojima would never go back to work at Konami. No, he would never work with Konami. Working with Konami, no, I, I, I doubt it as well. I seriously doubt it. No, absolutely but not. It'd be interesting. Now. Here, I wonder if he'd be willing to do it if essentially he was working with Sony, with Sony working with Konami, I, and it being something where they're never actually tangentially connected. Seems like it'd be almost impossible for that to happen. So again, we're going to count that off. Impossible. I doubt that would happen. I think that that would be the mo the only likely, like I wouldn't say likely, that would be the only 1% that yeah. would happen. Yeah. Um, now, I'd, past I'd, that, go ahead. I was going to say, I don't think that Sony has anything in plan for Silent Hills. I mean, oh, I don't um, know. I mean, uh, Kojima. Sony could, sure. 
But I don't think Kojima does. I think Kojima is going to take what he's working on and 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 keep it Kojima ish. Now I have something to say to that. So, I, in terms of whether Kojima would come back to being working on Silent Hills, I think what could be happening, uh, and not even in in at all tied to this rumor, but I think what could be happening just as a guess of what Kojima's talking about with him talking about returning to horror. I wonder if Sony has approached him like, hey. People really love PT, and even though that was technically going to be Silent Hills, it was Silent Hill in name only. It was not going to be anything like what you'd expect from Silent Hill otherwise. So why not go back to that? What if Sony's going to him and saying, hey, we want you to make a horror game that is really original and inspired just like PT was because there's been such a buzz for it that if we say, hey, here's a new horror game by Kojima – the buzz that PT and Silent Hills carried automatically gets transferred to that. It does. It's not about Silent Hills or the PT it's name about anymore. The creation. It's about what the game was and yeah. the fact that Kojima was the one who made that. As far as so, that, I think that that's a possibility. But going back to the other thing, uh, I also agree that the, the, the dream team of Silent Hill yeah. developers this seems unlikely. Yeah, they, they, but I'll give them a little bit of credit in the fact of again, I don't believe this at all, but. Square Enix actually did get the band of the most beloved people who were involved with Final Fantasy VII to come back and be involved in Final Fantasy VII's remake. They never got so, Sakaguchi on there, did they? Uh, they got Tabata on there and Omura, but they never got Sakaguchi. I thought so. Did they? I, I, as a production, you know, he, he's a producer, so he's he's still someone who's essentially just, hey, here's what we're thinking. He's like the grandfather. What would you think? Of- Hey, shut up, Google. He's like the grandfather of Final <clears throat> Fantasy. So, like, he's he, in my opinion, is one of the most important people with Final Fantasy. Him and Tabata, um, Sekaguchi son. But, uh, but yeah, like for me, I, I think he is. I mean, I, I really, I feel like I remember them talking about it. For me, though, like I don't foresee like Silent Hills ever being a thing anymore. Uh, despite the fact that uh, I was a big conspiracy theorist that PT was Silent or that um, Death Stranding was Silent Hills. Now, what I will say is, I do think that I was partially in the right there. I do think that Kojima took ideas he wanted to use in Silent Hills and put them in PT instead. You have the name. Or Death Stranding, you mean? Yeah, yeah, Death Stranding. Uh, You have the name of Lisa, who is the mother, and that happened uh, in Death Stranding. You have the idea of a a, stillborn, in a sense, that can lead you between the, the, the living and the dead worlds. And I think that he took that game, he took that idea, that base idea, which was what Silent Hills was apparently based on, judging by the PT demo, and um, he took that and he made it into his own thing and he made it the way he wanted to make it. Hence, we got Death Stranding. Um, I want him to make a horror game. I don't want it to be in relation to Silent Hills because I just don't think that whatever he does can live up. And I think that Konami having their hand in it, I don't think that they will be the company to say, free reign, go for it. They're going to have their hand stuck in there a hundred times and, and changing things up just like they did with Metal Gear Solid Five. And I think that that's one of the reasons why Konami uh, or Kojima will decline on any kind of offer to even partner with Konami, even in passing, is because of what happened with Silent Hills, Metal Gear Solid Five, And uh, people forget that Konami took the, the Metal Gear name and made a survive game out of it, a survival game, mm-hmm. and just ran that game, that name, the name of that company through the mud. So yeah, Konami going, or Kojima going back to Konami, no, not happening. Yeah, I agree there. Uh, by the way, I know why I thought. So Sakaguchi has talked about Final Fantasy VII Remake, and he says that he thinks it looks great, and that but he thinks that, uh, to, yeah, that uh, 
Nomura has got the spirit that he had while working on it. So, but yeah, so as of right now, now that talk was back in 17, there are some people saying that final, that apparently Sakaguchi was on the outs with Square Enix. And yeah, there, there was apparently their relationship is getting better. So some people are speculating that well, he may actually still be having some tertiary involvement with Final Fantasy VII remake, but it's not confirmed at all. If I remember correctly, Sakaguchi did not agree with the new way the games were evolving. He, he kind of was a stickler for classical style RPGs and turn-based stuff and sprite-based stuff, and the way that they were getting. Um, you know, freeform battle systems, big fantastical worlds and stuff is something he probably wanted, but they probably incorporate it wrong, so he might not have liked it. I don't know. Yeah, I but don't it's know. rumored that. that he but didn't. he just, you know, he doesn't work at Square Enix, and that doesn't mean that he can't come in and be involved. Yeah, with he it, could but, be an advisor for that yeah. easily. Anyway, I think all that's interesting, but I guess I'd say, I, and even the even the idea of having SIE Japan Studio as a support studio, that's not the, the interesting thing about this rumor is that all of it's technically possible. Technically, it's just all so incredibly unlikely. I don't think any of it's possible, honestly. <laughs> if anything of that is possible, it'd be Sony working with Konami. Yeah, and Sony lending SIE Japan Studio as a as a assistant development studio. They we see them do that often. And when you think about it, they haven't made a great Silent Hill game in a long time. They haven't made a Silent Hill game in a long time by this point. Yeah, because I mean, you look at PT. You could consider that a very short form game if you want. So that you could include that. But I will say, like Silent Hill: The Room, not a great game. Silent Hill Three. Okay, Silent Hill: Book of Memories game. was interesting as a Vita game. Never played it. it but it's a top down. Nope, not, not a great game. Dungeon crawler style game. It's very. <laughs> no, odd. that's not a Silent Hill game. Then yeah, that's just it's, a weird, it's, again, it's, no. it's Silent it's Hill. Konami being Konami. It's Silent Hill and lore only. You know what I mean? And it, it wasn't I, bad. Well, I'm it surprised just wasn't a Silent Hill game. Is we haven't gotten a remake of uh, Silent Hill Two. Or a remaster because the, the the remastered version of that game last gen was awful. Yeah, um, they can't even do a remaster of their own game right. <laughs> right we're gonna move on to the next thing. Uh, a new patent filing by Sony details a potential future device that would work with both DualShock Four and DualShock Five by slipping over the touchpad and aims to help visually impaired players by providing tactile feedback, braille output, and other options to give in-game information that could be hard to read uh, for visually impaired players through other means. Um, That's a cool idea. I, it, it is a cool idea. Braille is confusing. So the patent actually is really in depth, and if you want to go check out the pictures, I encourage you to. Uh, so the thing that slides over yeah. has got this little thing, and on the left side of it, of essentially what would be the touchpad, there's some holes, and this little thing underneath can just put little dots up, and it can slowly give you information, and then it can also use tactile feedback in a weird way to get you from what I'm, uh, from what I'm understanding. I don't know if this is exactly it. It looks like. Things that are like a God of War when you're going through, if it has like a shape of a room, a rune on it, of course there's not going to be Braille for a rune. Yeah. But what it can instead do is offer tactile feedback to where you can essentially trace on it and it'll continue to kind of like vibrate so your fingers can feel the shape out and then you'll know what it is because of that. Uh, interesting idea. Of course, it's something that comes down to this is for a specific group of people, very much like the, um, I'd imagine this would be expensive. The unfortunate thing is, just like the Xbox um, adaptable, adaptable controller. yeah, controller. That one is actually really well priced considering what it is, and it's better priced Absolutely. than a lot of the market options. But it still is something that, because it's so much more involved, ha does cost more. But I love the idea, and I would be interested to see Sony do this because I got to give props to Microsoft for doing the adaptive controller. It was a great yeah. idea. Uh, and if we're being real, when you look at this from business decisions, regardless of, you know, you hope it's not the only reason, but it's also great PR. 
Uh, yeah, I just think it was a cool idea. Yeah, it, I, it I, I do too. Really again, like well. I say, I hope it's. I hope the only reason wasn't just, hey, we need the PR. I hope it's like, hey, the B, the PR is just a bonus benefit of doing something that's otherwise really interesting and can help people. Um, next up, in the wake of event delays and cancellations, Warframe developer Digital Extremes has announced that this year's TennoCon, which is their annual uh, Warframe celebration where they normally announce what they're doing next for the game, will be handled completely digitally. Uh, good timing for them, too, because they decided to do this before they ever sold any tickets. So they get to completely yeah. avoid having to refund and have people be... Uh, annoyed by that uh next up though near 10th near's 10th anniversary as we talked about earlier will be being celebrated with a 10-hour live stream including a concert stage and talks surrounding the series with director yoko taro this could also be this is just me guessing again no actual anything could be an opportunity for square to announce a uh, remaster or even a remake of the first game uh as this would be a super fitting reveal uh 10 years 10 hours of course 10 hours is a long time for a stream it seems like you'd put something in there uh but if it's not going to be uh a remake or remaster of the first game this could also be the announcement or reveal that development has begun or development's been going on uh for a new near, and if I'm not mistaken, you know how Platinum had their Platinum Four. Yes, that'd be the fourth. They haven't gotten their fourth yet. Yeah, this seems fitting. It seems possible. I... So this is March 29th. If you want to check it out, of course, when you're dealing with Japan live streams, it makes it normally pretty hard if you're in the uh, U.S. to watch them because. But you have 10 hours, so you could probably get in at some point. So yeah, hopefully we'll have an answer to whether we're getting a new game sometime soon. Uh, it just seems like it'd be weird to leave that on the table at this particular point, considering that. Atomic sold so well. Yes, and so. I really want to go back into the very first game. So that's something that I I, I could te- I never thought about this. Is that on the Xbox Marketplace? I don't know. And even if it was, it would it would not have gotten the performance patch. Probably not. Did it run worse on Xbox 360 than it did on PS3? I don't know. Actually, I've never played it on P- on the 360 because it was it was near Gasalt, right? Or Gasalt on Gestalt. Xbox? Yeah. Well, it was that. Yeah. It was it was that in America, no matter what. Oh, okay. The PS3 right. version in Japan had Gasalt and Replicant. Yeah. And Replicant was the one where you play as brother near as opposed to father near. That was one of those weird things back when they. Uh, the ideology there was that the dad, not only visually, but also the storyline, would fit in more with the American culture, and that the brother, and definitely the brother's design, which was really cool, was too Japanese to perform well in this market. I think that was a poor decision, though I do personally like the idea of the father story a little bit better, just because I'm a dad. So right. I guess that's part of what it is now. Right. But I would have been clearly fine with the idea of um, of seeing it go from a brother situation. So either way. But I'm hoping we get a remake. That would be so, so amazing. Oh, remake with Platinum developing it. That's where it's at. Uh, next thing up, the ability to make entirely original content in dreams, as we were speaking about earlier, leads to some questions that have thankfully been answered or at least beginning to be answered in a recent blog post by Media Molecule. Uh, In the post, the studio states, quote, you own the IP for the original creations that you make in dreams, end quote. They go on to say that you are within your rights to use the creations for personal use in things such as your art or music portfolio in a collage or a design on your t-shirt, but they are also aiming for ways to support business use of these creations as well. They want to extend the ability for creators to use dreams to make concept artwork and more 
even for opportunities that exist entirely outside of the game or even off of the PlayStation platform and are quote, busy behind the scenes mapping out how we can make it easier for creators to do this in the future, end quote. Uh, this all has culminated in a beta program that they're doing right now. Uh, we have to sign up for it and it's only certain people that can be part of the beta. It's people who were uh, good standing early access members. So people who've got a lot of time in the game uh, and creations that are probably at a point where they're more useful for them in this. Uh, and in that, people can submit applications for use of their creations outside of the game for business reasons. Um, this is interesting because this goes back to one of the things I was talking about before of what happens when you make something in dreams and you want to do something more with it? Yeah, so you, it, this this all this pretty much answers that question of can you market your own game? Can yeah. you can you make merchandise for your own game? And do you have anything to fear from Media Molecule about that? Because exactly. I know some people would be worried, like, if they made the shirt or something of a game they created in Dreams and sold it, does, does Media Molecule own that or do you own yes. that? Yeah, and so technically, this what, is good. Yeah, and what a lot of people do forget is that IP is intellectual property. You created something that is there for years, but you're using somebody else's tools to create it. Could be technically theirs uh, as a form of a copyright because yeah. it is that that is their product. Um well, it, it essentially, it's because you made it of their, uh, you made it within their world. From of their, their yeah, from their their pro their protected uh, engine. So it's kind of one of those weird things. But I'm 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 grateful though that they're at least doing this, and they're not saying, well, hey, if I make a game, you can't sell a shirt of that game or anything. And what it gets weird of is that this is what kind of makes Dreams super super unique, right? We are so used to, of course, when you make a game in Unreal Engine, they don't own the game because it's just an engine. But now that Dreams is a game and an engine, you kind of have to figure out where these lines that are kind of just wiggling around are at and how you navigate those. So I, props to them for handling this pretty quickly. The game's not been out that long. And of course, this is a question that I think as people spend more and more time creating more and more things, people who really start to see this as an opportunity for them, who may have already invested a lot of time and creative energy into making something, Maybe worried that all that creative time and energy was lost. Yeah. And now they know that it's not. Uh, this is more still, though. One of the things I was curious about with Dreams is if we'd ever see a way for you to monetize your games outside of Dreams, where you could build the game completely in Dreams, take it off of the platform, and use it elsewhere. Um, and I wonder if this is a step in that direction. Uh, or if this would just be something to where, like, say you made a game in Dreams, right? And everyone loved it. Is this where you now know that you have the ability to take that same basic idea and expand upon it so much further, making a real game in a real engine that's completely separate from Dreams? And that way, at least with this, you know you own the IP. You know you're within your rights to do that. Yeah. I would think, on. Yeah, I would think so. That pretty much answers that question now with that. Oh, the big thing is, is that they've talked about potentially making Dreams for computer. Like, you know, that they would like that idea. If they can extend the Dreams onto other platforms this is one of the really few games that i could see sony having the reason to go about putting on as many platforms as possible the only reason i could see it being or not see it being on a computer is because it doesn't feel warranted i feel like that if you're gonna create a game on computer there's already better tools that so, are more accessible in a way it's ease of use i think is what it comes down for this is that what's so great about this game and the way that it chooses to do it is it is an engine but it's an engine that's interactive which is not normally the case so you know you're in an engine when you're building and you're doing it in real time and doing all this thing when normally you have to do that throughout layers of different things coming together yeah so i do think it was if anything i think dreams coming to pc 
would be that it would be a really interesting way for definitely younger people who may have interest in becoming game developers starting to do some of that work that you'd see and being able to put it together more quickly than you normally could in using something like Blender. So you can go ahead and sculpt in this and you can take that sculpt and go ahead and put it in something and see what it does in gameplay. Whereas normally you'd have to export that Blender file, put it into something else, texture it. You're doing a lot of extra work to get it going in the game, whereas Dreams lets you see it very quickly. It's almost kind of like what you see with like... uh, RPG Maker. RPG Maker is a game yeah. that is all, and, and it's on PC. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like, there's so that, clearly that's, that's on there. Then you have, like, my, my whole thing is, is that if I saw this game, say I didn't have a PS4 and I was, I was a PC gamer, I, to me, it almost makes like, it, it would always most make sense instead of advocating for a launch, just turning that energy or turning that want to like, I'm just going to learn how to build a game and just doing oh. it already. Like, you don't have to wait on anything, you have everything you need. Yeah, it could. Yeah, it could. I just think that the big thing for me, like I already said, um, but it's just, I think this would be great for kids. Well, I like, say, could I, you imagine somebody? I think the Switch would be a good system for this. Yes, I do too. I, I, I genuinely do. I mean, and I, but I also meant PC just because PC was just where I first said, but I think all systems could use this. Yeah. Uh, and I think if Sony was, I, I kept saying that, I think it'd be really smart to use Dreams eventually to become a platform in a very weird way where people can make games and then put them on where Dreams is not only the game, but also the development tool set, but also the platform, like essentially the digital storefront and being able to put your games out. If you put this, if you put Dreams on every console, right? And then you also make it into a storefront essentially to where if you make a game and you want to monetize it, then you can say, hey, this is my IP that they're letting me do. Here's the storefront. I can choose to give it out for free or I can choose to to monetize it. Uh, and then you can sit there and, and have people who want to get into game development. Like, you know, let's say someone decided to make essentially for interesting that what if somebody made decided to make and let's say um, Stardew Valley never existed, but they decided to make it inside of dreams and they made it and everything turned out exactly like Stardew Valley is. Okay. But they could go ahead and monetize it on Dreams without having to rebuild it in a different engine and then every platform you could just go in and be like, "Hey, here's Dreams, you buy the game within Dreams and you can play it however you want." And you can that's how you monetize it and it it would be interesting to me because it would also allow early access, right? You could sit there and go, "Hey, here's early access if you want to do it. We can have free early access in early days so that everyone can play. Demos become a lot easier because instead of having to take a vertical slice off, instead you can do a singular level that you normally are pulling together for dreams and you can say, "Hey, here's here is the piece of the game where you can try and just see what the game is like." And all of it's already there. I feel like it would streamline a lot of the things that we like to see in gaming mm-hmm. into one thing. But it does add technically another digital storefront, and do people want that? That's I, that's probably. I don't the think Media Molecule can support a digital storefront. Well, this would have to be, of course, over time. This would yeah. be well, right I mean, out even, the gate. Yeah, it'd be Sony supporting because like, even even you know Epic I mean? Epic has fair share of problems just because it, like it's not well suited. It's just not well made. Yeah, no, I understand. Um, that's what I'm saying. It would have to be something that Sony was behind. Of course, because yeah. well, Sony owns Media Molecule. I don't they think, would be the supporting factor. See, I think though that that would technically lead to competition for Sony. How so? Well, uh, because if Sony owns say, the storefront, they'd get say, part, they'd get piece back. So the ability to monetize would be like, hey, you made this game in Dreams. So just like everything else, if you monetize it, we get a kickback of a of a small percentage of everything that's sold for part of not only uh, essentially for being in the storefront. You made the game, we but give would you it be the same kickback as if I bought a game off their their store digitally? Probably. Okay. Well, then maybe not. Because I was yeah. gonna say, like, say if I wanted a farming game. And there's a really cool one on Dreams that I go buy for 99 cents or mm-hmm. Stardew Valley for 99 cents or whatever. 
Like, which one would I buy if I bought the farm one? Then yeah. I, I, it'd take away from Stardew Valley. To me, I think it'd just be opportunity, right? The more that you can put out there, of course, the more potential like purchases that brings you in have. A lot of scammers, though. There like is a lot of people making, like, I'm sure you've seen those mobile game ads, like where it's like Grand Theft Auto with like a touchscreen, with touchscreen <laughs> buttons. And obviously, the game's not Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, I just think Dreams is such a really cool idea, and it's so unique that you could do so much more with it. And I think that the people who made it have those same thoughts. Maybe not the exact ones that I have, but I think that they realize you can do so much more with it. Last thing on the list, though, uh, and this is going to round out the episode as we've kind of moved towards this format of just talking about the news. So let me go. Uh, let us know if you like this idea or not uh, and how we've been doing it. We're always up for changing the show and finding what fits. But I feel like this has been a comfortable it's a, it's a much yeah it's much more of a different like it's much much more fluid not having to worry about cutting into certain uh categories of the show anymore like we don't have to worry about like we're yeah. gonna cut into the main topic now so let's get away with what we're talking about we flow into everything better yeah so the last thing here uh is it's exciting for me as someone who loved the uh, the witcher 3 of course uh but if you thought cd project red would stay away from the witcher series now that they've moved on to cyberpunk it seems you'd be wrong the developer has confirmed that they have already started work on an unannounced single player title for the witcher claiming that they have quote two worlds in quote being uh, Cyberpunk and The Witcher, and that all games planned so far are in either of those worlds, uh, which is interesting because it means they're not going to be, they're going to kind of take the Rockstar thing where Rockstar used to be into doing new IP, but it seems like now Rockstar is really relegated to just be like, hey, we have Red Dead and, and we have Grand Theft Auto. And if the game is not in that, it's very likely that we're probably not going to make it. Yeah. Um, it's interesting in the sense of that you know every time a game comes, it's going to be in a world that you've already liked, but it also invites the potential for burnout quicker, I feel like. But at least both Rockstar and, in this case, Cyber, uh, Cyberpunk, or CD Projekt, rather, at this point, are both existing in a situation where they're never making both games at the same time. Yeah. So it's like you always know that in between two Grand Theft Autos, you're going to get a Red Dead. So even if you don't care about Red Dead, all it means is that it's not Grand Theft Auto, Grand Theft Auto, Grand Theft Auto in terms of instead of a Red Dead, it'd be another Grand Theft Auto. The upside of that is you're not going to get uh, franchise fatigue like you were talking about earlier in the episode That's true. quickly That's true, because yeah. the, the games take longer to come out. As we see, we've gone an entire console generation without That, that won't stop Auto. me, though. Games take longer to come out. I just keep replaying the same game over and over again. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. But in terms of at least new games, you know, I don't think people think about it because Grand Theft Auto has been so, or Grand Theft Auto 5 has been so prevalent in this console generation, but it's not a this console generation game. Yeah, I think I think Rockstar really kicked themselves in the foot for not introducing uh, GTA Online before because now that that's what they have, like Grand Theft Auto was slated to get a single player DLC. Now it never did. They didn't need to. They're yeah. going to keep pumping money in the DLC or in the. Uh, uh, DLC for online because that's where all their money is coming from. Yeah, because it's weird. It's like, you know, you you can't say that the game has got no DLC because it's got tons of DLC. It's just, if it's all online, it DLC. only matters if you like the online component of the game. If you don't, you've just kind of gotten yeah, you're screwed. screwed. Yeah. Uh, but what, one thing to keep in mind with this uh, Witcher move uh, is that the studio have confirmed time and again that with The Witcher 3, uh, Geralt's story is over and complete. So in returning to the world of The Witcher, we're very likely going to see either a different protagonist that we're already familiar with or a completely different protagonist uh, that we don't know and potentially in a completely different time period within the world that we're existing in. You know what I like to see? I like to see 
uh, when you have a series, whether it's sci-fi, horror, whatever it is, whatever genre it could be, and there's a there's a series, a trilogy per se. Uh, I like I like that when they new, come out with something new for that series. Um, so like let's say Witcher comes out with a new game coming out. It does not feature Ger- uh, Geralt, huh, Geralt, but um, it actually has hints of him throughout the world. Like you may come across somebody who tells you a tale of of Geralt, and and I like Geralt, that. but yeah, or Geralt, yeah. <laughs> I was technically right the first time when I said Geralt, yeah. but yeah, Geralt. Yeah. Um, I think it's cool that like they have that in the game. Um, yeah, because it reminds you of your of the times you played the games beforehand, but without feeling like it's shoehorning the actual character into the yeah, game. Yeah, like it, it's a nice nod yeah. to the to the game or the series, and I think that that's something like I, I am all for one moving on to something that's not The Witcher because a or well I should say um, not Geralt because I think that hey, you know, I never finished The Witcher three, but I'm pretty sure. From the way it sounds like his story's done, right? Yeah. Like, like, it yeah, feels, no, it's definitely done. I don't see anybody asking for sequels or anything like that of, of this particular Witcher. But there's, from from just what I've played of Witcher 3, I know there's endless stories about the, that series you could do. You don't yeah. have to do Geralt or Geralt. Now, I think what gets weird into this, uh, there's two things about this. The first thing I was going to say is that I think that one of the potential problems that could come is that they based the Witcher games off of the Witcher books. So moving forward without Geralt, who was the protagonist of the Witcher books, they risk running into the fact of uh, the problem of not having source material to pull from. AKA Game of Thrones season eight. But this is where I was going to say, go is it seems like CD project red has done a lot to mend the relationship with the, at one point in time, disgruntled author of the books who was upset that he settled for far too less. Cause he didn't think that it was going to make a profitable game series. And then when he was woefully wrong and the Witcher three blew up massively, uh, he felt like he was, um, under compensated. Yeah. Uh, so they've done some help. And of course, along with the Witcher Netflix series, uh, he's getting a little more into it and whatnot. And I think he sees so many people loving it. I think the way to probably do this would be to get with the original author and be like, Hey, you know, have you have, have you ever had any stories that you've thought about within the world that you've created that you would like to work with us on? And we could adapt that into, you know, you, you give us the stories and we'll adapt that into a game. I think that would be really cool. There's something about going to the original creator and letting them have a, have a hand in what you're doing new. That's going to expand their universe. Uh, I think it's a smart thing to do because Regardless of how you feel about the new Star Wars movies, I think Star Wars is a prime example of when you go away from having the original creative uh, person behind it, you can sometimes get into things that feel ham-fisted here and there, and or they just don't feel true to what you feel like the rest of the series was, even if they're good on their own. I yeah. guess that's that's my thing. Is like I've enjoyed most of the new Star Wars movies, but every now and then something happens that I feel like is almost in direct contrast to what I from what the series has already set up. And yeah. it's gonna happen when you start getting new creative minds behind something and not including at all the original person to where they can try and take the new idea but find a way to fit it into the existing ways and that it feels like it's a puzzle piece being inserted in that you just didn't know was there instead of just hammering a puzzle piece that doesn't actually fit into a spot. Well, I guess that's a good example too of saying that um you know, you don't always need source material because even things with source material end up being terrible. The Hobbit, for an example. That's true. I will never let anybody live <laughs> that down. That move that series is is terrible. Why that's three movies. It's Hollywood greed. That's all that is. But yeah, you can you could easily mess up something with material. They could have messed up games uh 
Game of Thrones. I almost said Gears of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Um, they didn't up until like the last season. But um, yeah, it could just be one of those things, though, that they that they could even get. I don't even know if the author of, of uh, Witcher is alive. What's his name? It's German. No, he, he's alive. Is he? Yeah. Um, he, is he German? No, I'm thinking of... Um, no, he's Polish. Polish, yeah. I'm thinking of... I can't remember his name right somebody now. Somebody else. But um, that's right, because... Uh, three, uh, it's, some, uh, it's like and. Andy, some and, uh, Project Red is Polish based. Uh, Andres Sadkowski. Sadkowski. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, they can even get with him and say, hey, you know, can you storyboard us something you've always wanted to make a book about? We'll make a game about it. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. And that, that's, I think, is probably the smart way to do it. I mean, if I remember right, the Game of Thrones things, they were trying to work alongside the original author, but it's just like he didn't. Uh, well, orig- have exactly what he he. Or, no, originally, like there was, there's things that happened in the series that was that was uh, advised by George R. R. Martin. But then when they got to the end, they left it to what has now been memed to death with the with the um, creators and the writer. And it's it's D and D. I can't think of their real names, but they call them D and D, Dumb and Dumber. Like they just call them the bunch of stupid names. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. and um, because they have some just terrible writing. There was even like an interview. Where um, they were like, yeah, Khaleesi kind of forgot about that army. And I was like, yeah, it's a whole subplot you just threw away. And like, and that was your excuse. Oh, she kind of forgot about it. Like, what do you mean? It's an army. Who, do you, who, who, who are you to forget about an army? Like, it's, <laughs> it's stupid. But yeah, it, it goes to show you that things with source material, even though Game of Thrones is not the greatest example, because technically there's not source material for the end of that. But um, but yeah, it, stuff with source material can go awry. Thankfully, it seems that the that well, guys over at CG Prada Red have done it pretty well. Yeah, it's adaptation, right? It's yeah. always about how the group of people that you have that are taking the source material, how yeah. good are they, how good are they at taking that material and adapting it in a way that not only fits the new medium, but also remains true and has qualities that tap into the original so that when you have somebody who does both so when you have somebody who reads the books and then plays the game or plays the game and then goes and reads the books they feel like they're they feel like they're cohesive they feel like okay like it's it's a slightly different way yeah, of telling me feels, this but it still feels like it's the same yeah body it feels like it's work. all part of the same universe and it's part of all the same uh work but at the same time it feels different it feels supplementary to yes. with the games and now that's why the tv show i think is is a pretty much a direct connotation of the show of the of the books so one of the things here is that this taps into for me this taps into one of the things that i was saying with the last of us which i, I get your point uh, when we were talking about the last of us last week of I don't mind at all seeing the Witcher world explored without any of the characters we've already seen. Now, don't be wrong; they don't. They could also choose to move forward and make new games that kind of tell what's going on with uh, with Cecilia. Well, um, Siri, Cecilia, Siri. Yeah. Um, but I think not I, Siri. How are you doing this to me, Jennifer? No, it's it, it, it's Cecilia is her name, and you're killing me with this. I don't know why in my head. No, it's not. What you killed me? It's Siri, but not with an S. Is that right? I'm so confused. Siri with an S. Hold on. There's not an S in Siri. I've gotten myself confused in this conversation somehow. So excuse me. I've not played The Witch in a long time, though. Of course, I should. No, it's Siri. You were right, and I'm, well, I'll smack you. <laughs> smack me, please. I mean that. No, I'm kidding. Don't please. Uh, anyway, but, but yeah, listen. Like, my point. They can move forward with her, and they could do new stories with her. Yeah. But I'm people won't like that though. And see, this is this is where it goes with The Last of Us. I think that people won't like that because they know that Witcher is as Geralt's story or Geralt's story, whatever you pronounce his name. Um, 
So you add in a new character. There, there are people that aren't going to care about that character. There are people gonna, who are going to care more about that character. Um, That's what I was getting into. Last week, you know, you said, I, I, in, in my thought for the TV, I personally said that I'd like to see the world explored either before Ellie and still see Joel. But I actually think that I mean, I, that's probably my actually the thing I'd want the most, but I'd also be very close to just as content or even happier than what we, with what we're getting, at least, uh, with the idea of exploring that world completely removed from the characters that we I'll, first were introduced into it in. And it, I, I thought, and maybe I just misunderstood, I thought that you were not really into that because you feeling like The Last of Us is the story of Joel and Ellie. Now, one of the things that you did say that I think lends some credence to that is that the world of of The Last of Us is not necessarily the most unique thing. So, well, that's 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 the difference there. That's where the so if you don't have Joel and Ellie, you just have another. Yeah, but The Witcher has so many different enemies and 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 beasts and 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 lore that can pop into. Yeah, whereas The Last of Us. If if we're if I'm going to be directly honest, The Last of Us the main plot of that story is incredibly weak without the two main characters. Uh, it's just about a zombie virus, and hey, guess what? One person has the has been bit. bit and, oh, all that that's that's so yeah. cliche in the zombie universe. I think the ending is not necessarily the most unique thing, but I don't think it's the most cliche thing either. I think the ending is strong in that game. I think the ending, but is it's strong. made stronger by strong the relationships. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I agree with you in that. But yeah, my thing for The Witcher is I'm completely okay with. Which I, I agree that there's so much more when you have a, and I think it's by nature of what they are, right? The Witcher was always intended to be this open world thing, and it was already based off well, I mean, of a book series that tried to introduce you to an entire world. Yeah, and you, when you think that's about that's not it, happening in the way that the, that the Last of Us was written. Go ahead. Yeah, and the lore and the lore of Witcher can expand so much more in just a game too. Um, we've seen it go into books, card games, all kinds of different things, music. But when you have The Last of Us, there's not much you could do set inside of that zombie atmosphere. That's different. That will feel as as heavy hitting and weightful as The Witcher can, um, or even that the original Last of Us did. So I think that's the difference there. And I think that if you're going to give me a prequel to The Last of Us, it's going to feel like a zombie movie or a TV show. I don't really care about. If well, you, I think if you include Joel in the well, prequel, then if, it would. No, no don't, don't don't. There is no prequel at that point. It's only it'll only be Joel and Sarah. Which no, I think okay. will just be like a drop. Well, well not, not Joel and Sarah, because Sarah, but what obviously, you're, what but you're you can wanting, do Joel and Tess. Yes. I was like, what you're wanting is that 20-year gap, which is what I would want. Yeah, so, somewhere in between that. Yeah, because you're still A, Mira, Joel, and Tess, and B, you actually get to see more of that world fleshed out, even though it won't really, ha, fleshed out. But um, it really won't be that fleshed out, because what you already know about the world is, is almost as flesh as it could get. I guess what it is for me is it's fleshing the characters out more at that point, which not that the, the characters in the last of his game are fleshed out for the story that's being told. Yeah. But would, what's not fleshed out that could be explored with an interesting story is how Joel becomes the hardened man that he is. Now you could, you could do it from the game standpoint, which this is, I, I really, I don't consider this a spoiler. You should probably know this by now, but if the death of your daughter is, you could look at The Last of Us in the way that it chooses to introduce its 20 year gap, and you could say that the only thing that's made him a hardened man is the death of his daughter, but I have a hard time believing that. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing. Like, and it's fine within the concept, the there's, context of the story. There's definitely but conflict if you, with fireflies and stuff. If there you want to do more, help. there's going to be things that you get to see that do this, but. I had a conversation, and I think this is probably where we'll roll it off unless you want to add something to it. Uh, Mario at work, me and him were talking, and he didn't know that they were doing one. Or no, I think he brought it up, but he didn't know that it was going to be an adaptation. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we started talking about it, and he got to the point where we kind of both at the same time thought and almost said the exact same thing of, 
The problem with The Last of Us is if you don't have the gameplay that adds to all that, then essentially you have just a relationship. You have The Walking Dead. Well, I mean, yeah. So we already I, have that show. I, like I would, if you remove all the aspects of the gameplay that work in The Last of Us' favor to make it seem different, because from other zombie stories, by nature of just what games can do, like you know, because he was like, well, how do you? How it'd be cool to see how they introduce crafting and like how are, are they going to try and create visual reference points to in-game mechanics. And they will here and there, but it's not going to feel that different no. than what you'd see in something like The Walking, the Walking Dead. Dead. I think so that that's you're the... going to create the problem of, it's almost like if it, as much as I feel bad, if it wasn't a direct adaptation, it probably has no strengths that The Walking Dead doesn't already do. Well, uh, I'll say strengths up to season three. Well, I mean, as somebody who doesn't time. like The Walking Dead at all. You should you should watch up to at least the I watched season, season one all the way through and I didn't care. Season one's the most boring of the first So, three. But, but anyway, my, my point is still being, I've, I've heard plenty of, and I've seen plenty of stuff regarding The Walking Dead, and I can see how easily it could happen that The that the Last of Us is just that. I mean, it's just, uh, at, at, the, at the very core of this, of this series, it is just a zombie thriller. That yeah. is all it is. What makes it good is the story told within from the relationship aspect not even this the main story of the game is one thing it's hey get ellie to this place yeah and, and in the gameplay of course and in the gameplay yeah. um and that's that's you know i've said it before but that's i'm not skeptical but i'm kind of worried about last of us 2 drawing me in as much because they've they've drastically changed ellie so much i don't even know if i'm gonna feel like the same way as as i did when i played her in the first game See, so this introduces the same thing i was just talking about it's now there's, there's a multi-year gap where you don't understand why ellie well, is I, where she's at but, but, then, but the, the i can't say anything is, about is it right you now. have an extensive history with ellie true well you don't with joel yeah. i'm still here you know what my theory of this is my theory of this is is that all the stuff we've seen up uh, up um uh to ellie now we're gonna get that's all not really the game Oh, like it's late game, maybe? Yes. I think that you actually are going to play the gap in between the ending of the first game up until then. And it's going to be fragmented, of course. Like, it's going to be like four or five years at a time. But all right, I do think that the game will start you off at, at the end of the very first game. And then you will still be with Joel. And then at the end of this arc, Joel dies. And that is going to be the end of the game, technically. It's going to push you into what you've been seeing now. The last ten hours of the game is going to be what we've seen now. Hmm. And then I think that's where Ellie's mother comes into play. Well, Ellie's mother's dead within the context of the game. So we'll just have to see. Wait, wait, Interesting we, ideas. But the last thing to go towards the... Uh, what, what do you want well, to say? I was going to say Ellie's mother is dead that we know of. But here, here's the thing. is <laughs> yeah. In this gap of time before the game actually starts, we really don't know that for sure. You know, I actually think that we're going to see, from everything we're seeing, I think that we're going to see some of the 20-year gap from the perspective of a few characters that are only going, they're never, they're going to exist in a completely different time period and you're going to play through them in a completely different time period. And it's only going to be to further the world and motivations as Ellie comes to learn some of these things. We'll see. Maybe. Yeah. I kind of hope I'm right about it. Cause then at least I still get to play with Joel, even if I am Ellie. Yeah. And then I still get to see their relationship and that's where Joel dies at the end. But at the same time, Joel dies at the end of this 20 year gap or whatever. It's not 20 years. What is it? 10, 15? No, she's the gap uh, between. She's like 18 or 19. So it's been like a five year gap. Okay. So yeah. in that five year gap, um, at the end, you see her meet her new girlfriend and then uh, Joel dies. 
And then that's where the game starts is that her girlfriend does get kidnapped by the Fireflies. And it's all been misdirection. Well, yeah, well, the game starts. What we've been seeing starts. But yeah, it's all been yeah. misdirection. What's our community's take for the week? That's what I was looking at. Uh, I don't know if I wanted to turn, bounce back over to what the you, Dreams thing. What do you want in the next Witcher game? No, that's too un, See, it's, that's not broad it's enough. Too more, yeah, that's why I think something like Dreams is a little more broad in terms of what can be possible and done with it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm going to go back to that. I'd say... Um, with dreams, how do you feel about people being able to take their creations completely off of dreams? And would you be interested in seeing dreams ported over to other platforms, uh, regardless of how you feel on normal PlayStation exclusives? Do you think dreams could do more and be more off of PlayStation as an exclusive? So I'll find a, uh, of course, I'll find a better way to word that for short and sweet for, for social media. But of course, you're always welcome to uh, go down in the comments below if you're watching this on YouTube uh, and give us your answer to the um, community stake. You can always find us over on Twitter at uh, Triangle uh, SQRD. So at Triangle SQRD. You can find us on Facebook. It's a group called Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. Of course, you can join our day-to-day, moment-to-moment lives along with a lot of the other community members uh, in our Discord, which we have linked down in the description below, uh, either in the YouTube video or on the podcast services. Uh, and lastly, if you like the show and you want to support it further, you can head over to our Patreon uh, and see what we got going on there. We've got some different rewards, and with a new show that we are uh, launching and we've officially announced, uh, I will be part of a movie podcast called Midweek Midnight or uh, Midweek Matinee. Midweek Matinee, uh, along with Blake, which is one of the friends we've made uh, throughout this show uh, and community member. He's going to be joining me as well as two other friends uh, that I've recently had the uh, pleasure to meet, uh, Mr. Josh uh, Joshua Lago and Chris Figs. So go check that out. Um, right now, patrons are able to uh, listen to the first episode of free and we'll be getting that show one week ahead of everyone else for the foreseeable future so uh thanks for the opportunity to let us do this and of course being able to cover the cost of all this so that we don't have to dig into our own pockets immediately to do it we love you guys so we do love you all and we have a brand new updated patreon sheet so brett i finally did it guys let's let's get to it (laughs) thanks to our patrons josh jarrell matthew green my name is dan uh luke bartolomeo Hope that was right. Yeah. Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey, Danny Villalobos, Corey, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popst, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Blow, Eduardo Palomino, Stefan Swanlin, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Brandon Edwards, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers. We couldn't do the show without you guys. We love you. Thank you.